Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. And I turn on the television set and it's not at the beginning of the movie. It's somewhere in one of the scenes where it's a, a news scene and they're broadcasting news. And I thought it was real. I, I lost my mind. I mean, I'm like, like the first or second time I'm left home alone and now we're going to war. This is Cold War Conversations. Thanks to Patreon supporter Jim Black for providing our intro today. Over the past nearly two decades, the Stuck in the 80s podcast has emerged as the go-to for all aspects of 1980s nostalgia from a North American point of view. And much like Cold War Conversations, Stuck in the 80s is an award-winning podcast. Recognising that decade's popular culture was heavily influenced by the Cold War, co-host Peter Ryan organised a discussion with its curators Steve Spears and Brad Williams. During their chat, Brad and Steve expressed their views on the extent to which Cold War elements permeated all aspects of our daily lives through that decade, and this special edition of Cold War Conversations will also feature a playlist on Spotify, so do check that out in the episode notes. It features many of the songs discussed during this lively episode. And we thank Brad and Steve for the chance to organise a cross-podcast discussion today and encourage listeners to visit their website, sit80s.com, to learn more about their dedication to keeping the nostalgia of the 80s alive. Now, can you help me to uh, continue producing the podcast? Single or monthly donations really help me to keep the podcast on the air. Hi, uh, my name's Glenn. I'm from New Zealand. I've always been fascinated by Cold War. This podcast just brings it all back to life and Ian does such a good job of this And that's just why I support him on the Patreon. If you're interested in helping, supporting me, just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. So, back to today's episode. I'm delighted to welcome Peter Ryan, Steve Spears and Brad Williams to our Cold War Conversation. So... Back in 2005, podcasting was still a, a, a new thing. No one, no one was really trying it. And I was working at a newspaper in St. Petersburg, Florida, and we wanted to get into it. And so I pitched the idea of doing one on 80s pop culture. And I, I honestly got thought it would maybe last 20 or 30 episodes at the most. Uh, I think even when we hit our 25th anniversary, I mean, when we hit our 25th podcast, our, our 25th episode, we even celebrated that as a big milestone because we didn't even think we'd go that far. But we found out that other people were listening, and over the years, it's grown to, to become a weekly show that's featured interviews with, you know, 100, 200 different icons from the 80s. But we also tackle topics like, you know, best cover songs of 80s songs, uh, you know, favorite movies from 1985, stuff like that. 
and um, it, it has evolved and lasted and grown. And now this year, uh, this month, actually, we just celebrated our 15th anniversary. Congratulations. That's great. And, and a real legacy, as you say, when you started out, podcasting was only just really getting going. And to have lasted 15 years and to be able to have done that. How many shows now did you say, Steve? 563. My goodness, that's that's just fantastic. Well, once again, congratulations. And, you know, we're here to talk a little bit about the Cold War and the impact that the Cold War had on the 1980s, or maybe the impact that the 1980s had on the Cold War. And I actually took a little time yesterday in preparation for the discussion that we're having now to go back all the way back to 2005, I think it was episode 16, where Steve, you and a couple of co-hosts at the time discussed <laughs> politics in the 1980s. And I remember Ronald Reagan was a big feature of the discussion, uh, elements about Gorbachev and, and some of the shifts that were going on in the 1980s and so forth. So, uh, you know, with that in context and the, the context of politics as a backdrop, I want to bring it down to the human level. And to ask both of you guys, if you can talk a little bit about, as individuals that grew up in, were in high school and university during the Cold War, to what extent was this discussed as a topic, Cold War issues or the impact of the Cold War when you were in school, whether in high school and university, thinking that, that this really was at the outset of the 80s and the Cold War was a feature in pretty well everything that we were doing back then? Go ahead, Brad. Peter, I think it was just something that was kind of ever present. It was, you know, something that was, you know, the the threat of the Russians, if you will, was kind of everywhere. And it's funny when you say that. What I think about in school is I think about some of the things we read in English class. Like that was where, you know, some of the propaganda came in. Like I remember reading a book. I don't know if you've heard of the book Alas Babylon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is just thinking back on it, it's just a such a sunshiny like we can get through this nuclear war thing in our little small town. It's almost pandering, um, but that's the, that's what kind of leaps to mind. But yeah, it's definitely something that was you know we were soaking in it, right? It was it was part of the part of the landscape. I don't remember it so much in school being a topic. I to me, I, I think I learned it all from music and movies. Um, in college, I actually went and took a course in Soviet Union history, and it was easily the one of the hardest classes I ever took. And if I regret anything in college, I don't regret much, but I regret taking that course. That was just <laughs> ridiculously impossible. But that that's how I absorbed it. I absorbed it through popular culture. That's interesting. That's interesting. And talking about popular culture and the, the manner in which the Cold War influenced popular culture over the course of the 1980s, what would you what would you both say were some of the key cultural facets in terms of how the Cold War was presented from an American perspective? I think that it took on the same specter as Nazi Germany did years before or decades before communism was an absolute bad. Uh, the United States was an absolute good and there was really nowhere in between. And I think that came to us, like I said, in the form of the popular culture, you had movie villains, you know, Ivan Drago from Rocky four, an absolute villain from beginning to end the, the Russians and the, and the Cubans and red Dawn absolute villains, you know, for, yeah. for most of the movie, I think, that's how it happened. In music, it was a little different. I think in the 80s, we saw this transition from singing about Vietnam 
to seeing more about the Russians and the Americans. But, but in, in movies, it was just, it was just, you were right or you were wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. And, and you know, you, at least in my high school in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, seeing someone walking the halls with a Kilikami for mommy t-shirt was like, you wouldn't even blink. Like, of course. Yeah. That would be a lovely mother's day present. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, Brad, but that's a very good example. No, but I, I think that that speaks a lot to some of the, the polarization that we saw during the 1980s, whether it was in the States or in Canada where I grew up or in Western Europe. There was very much, I think, Steve, as you mentioned, it was very black or white. You were on one side or you were on the other. There was really no point where the two elements were going to intersect. And I think that also speaks to some of the personalities that we saw in the 1980s. And, you know, when you think about the, the political sphere in the 1970s, uh, I, I think that there was very much an era of consensus. There was a lot of treaties that were laid out between the, the West and the East, uh, at, attempts to try and break down some barriers. But it almost was like ratcheted up when you think about when we went from December 31st, 1979 to January 1st, 1980. And with that in mind, from the studying that you guys have done or from the the individuals that you might have looked at or, or followed or even interviewed on the Stuck in the 80s podcast, who would you identify as probably the most important personalities related to the Cold War between 1980 and 89? And, and by the way, this isn't just political. This could be in the realm of entertainment, in business and technology, anything that comes to mind. Well, I mean, to start with, you mentioned politics, and I think that's, you know, that's the top of the ziggurat. So I'll take the easy answer and make Steve, you know, dig for harder ones. But Reagan and Gorbachev, I mean, Ronald Reagan and the, you know, the Peacekeeper Missile Program and the SDI initiative and just putting, you know, ratcheting up the pressure on Russia. uh, That was, (laughs) you know, that, that that is the big note, simple answer for, you know, that is losing you listeners as I say things that they already know. But I mean, that's the obvious answer. I I think you can dig deeper into, you know, as Steve said, I think you have maybe some more nuance in the music world. I I think with Reagan, it it wasn't so much him as a person. It was him as a cartoon or a symbol. I mean, the whole uh, yippee-ki-yay cowboy image of Americans was personified in Reagan. And I I think people to this day, the people who who still idolize him, they idolize that – the. The myth, that image, that image, right? Yeah, it's an image thing. It's not a. It's not a. I, I think what happened into the seventies is you, you transition from a president like Carter, who was well spoken, well meaning, um, but in a really tough spot, to someone who was all, bro, all, you know, more bravado than brains, and that's what America wanted right then, and and so he became, you know, the the father figure of America, but. If you go outside, and this is where I think it gets interesting, as the 80s continue and my education in the Cold War continues, and it continues through, like I said, m- music and movies, I start, you start hearing songs and you, and you start hearing the other side and you start getting these voices who question uh, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy really. Like, are you, and I think that's where things start to become a little bit more interesting in the 80s. And, and I give – I mean, I didn't read the New York Times in the eighties. I read, I read the St. Petersburg Times, but I did listen to Sting and I did listen to Frankie Goes to Hollywood. 
uh, and you too. And they had a message for me too about the Cold War. And, and so that's where the education, that's where those personalities start to form. And you start to see these people on different sides of, uh, of a most multifaceted problem, not just a, a right versus wrong. And I think that that's a really interesting answer. And Steve, you alluded there to music. And when I think about the 1980s, for me personally, if someone was to ask me what were my biggest influences from that period, I would it would have to be music. And and I certainly would agree that there was a lot of music that was produced over the course of the 80s that focused on the Cold War and and really I, I think drove home different messages. I was just curious in terms of what you guys have seen, you know, whether it was during the time or, or since the 1980s, if you can give us some, some thoughts about what were some of the key themes that were being produced musically that artists were trying to convey over that period. I think the message was um, you've got to, to look a little deeper and you get songs like Two Tribes by Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Land of Confusion by Genesis, um, 99 Luft Balloons by Nana, you know, Two Minutes to Midnight by Iron Maiden. Uh, Russians by Sting, I think, is still one of the first songs where he takes the view that the other side are just as, 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 just as human as we are. You know, they, they have families. They have children. You know, I right. hope the Russians love their children, too. I think that was one of the, those were the first times where we started to to listen to people saying you're you're simplifying this way too much and you need to put a lot more thought into it. Which of the songs cuz you mentioned a few of them there. I'd be curious maybe Brad I'd love to get your views on this. Which musical efforts were the most successful in terms of being able to convey that idea about you need to think more about this. This is this is profound and it's something that could impact all of humanity if it goes the wrong way. Well, it's funny. I'm, I'm going to answer kind of a different question. Uh, you know, Steve said it said it made us look a little deeper, but I think a lot of the music was just flat out cynical. And, you know, we are going to blow ourselves up. And perhaps the unsaid message there is we're going to blow ourselves up unless we step back. But, you know, I think about nothing to fear but fear itself by Oingo Boingo, you know. We've come such a long, long way. We're civilized, except when it comes to the simple fact of living together. Uh, I, I think there is a lot of cynicism in, in music as well. Uh, and and maybe that's anger. Uh, you know, but I think of a song like Leningrad by Billy Joel, who another, another song that, that puts a face, a human face on Russia. Um, I, for every two tribes, which I agree with Brad, it's all about, you know, the world's ending tomorrow. So let's go hit the clubs tonight. Kind of feel. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a, there's a Leningrad. So, and for every Leningrad, there's the future so bright, I gotta wear shades. Yeah, there's that song too. So it's, it, it's you know, the, the messages are there. You just have to have you just have to, have to be willing to listen to them. And and I think listenability is a really big issue when it comes to music and to be able to convey uh, to, to be able to convey the message of a song, the theme of it, and and really the emotion of it. And that that leads me to another question around music. When we're talking about some of these songs. That I think you know, Leningrad's a great example. The Russians, uh, you know, two tribes. These all come to mind as elements that I would have on my Spotify playlist when it comes to Cold War music. But 
do you have do you guys have any examples of songs that you think particularly impacted the general population whether it was in the US or in western europe that really impacted people the most and and got a sense across to them that we were really dealing with a very precarious period of history i think that i'm going to answer this question in a slightly different way i think that most of the songs that I admire from that time that address the Cold War situation are actually done by European bands from, from several different genres. And I don't know if that's because they felt they were in the middle of a, of a no-win battle between the U.S. and Russia, or I don't know if that was just the music I was listening to then. I, I, I had transitioned by the middle of the 80s from American music to the more new wave sound. So those are the songs that appeal to me on that level. Um, so the, the Frankie goes to Hollywood's, you know, and, and, and the U2 and, and the police and Sting and stuff like that. Even Iron Maiden is, is interesting to put the throw into the mix. Yeah. I would put uh, uh, the fixed red skies in there as well, but it's funny, Steve, I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. Most of that music is a, uh, from European artists who were, you know, the unfortunate bread, unfortunate meat in the Cold War sandwich there. Uh, I, I can't think of a single country Western Cold War, you know, nuclear dread <laughs> song. It just it wasn't in their vocabulary, I don't think. But if you even look at, so you, if, you look, if you look at even the most obvious bands from America at that time, so you look at uh, a Bruce Springsteen or, um, or John a, Cougar a Sticks or a 38 Special. Or. Like, sticks and 38 Special never recorded a political song in their lives, really. But, well, that's kind, of, that's kind of where I was going. Is but, that was, but, those are good time bands. But, Springsteen, but, not so much. I'm sorry. Go Spring, ahead. Springsteen and, and John Cougar Mellencamp, I don't think they had – I think they were still holding on to Vietnam at that point. I mean uh, Born in the USA is a song about Vietnam. It's not a song – I mean what, you could say that that's part of the Cold War – but when I think of the Cold War, I think the, th- the, thing, the thing that comes to my mind is U.S. and Russia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, those two artists are, uh, you know, not to not to just stereotype the hell out of them, but I will anyway. Uh, you know, th- they're singing about problems that are closer to you, right? They're not singing about problems about a missile coming from, you know, 8,000 miles away. They're singing about, you know, I lost my job and things are bad and, you know, I'm sad. It's interesting because I saw something that was written up about the most influential songs country by country. And and I would actually very much agree that the European music was, I I think, much more profound and closer to the bone because really – we weren't talking about a missile war in, in the sense of like it could have been an infantry war with the, the, the East Bloc coming over into the West. And it was that close. Anyway, somebody had told me that uh, in Germany, the most influential Cold War song as it related to people who grew up in the era was, in fact, Nana's 99 Luft Balloons. And I, I get that. I mean, it was it was a catchy song, very popular, but it really had a message that a lot of people related to because they were living it in, in the actual fact. I don't know how popular a Cold War artist would have been um, among American music, too. That's and that's something to think about. We were so ridiculously over the top with our patriotism during that decade that I don't think yeah. there would have been much acceptance of 
Nana if she were American. Yeah, or, not not as much room for that kind of thinking or discourse. That it, they wouldn't have captured the attention of. I mean, music is still a business in the United States, or it certainly was then. And I don't think there was any room in that business for a a cynical artist singing about you know maybe we should reconsider our positions on uh, <laughs> nuclear war. Yeah, probably not because I I do remember. That was exactly the era of Lee Greenwood and some of the more patriotic music that was coming out at the time that did exceptionally well in the United States. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. Yeah. 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 Well, we've talked a little bit about music in the Cold War, and thanks, this has been really, really interesting thus far. I'd like to move over to cinema and talk a little bit about the Cold War when it came to the production of movies, particularly out of Hollywood. And when I think back to the era and when I take a look at what's on my watch list on Amazon or my list on Netflix, there's a lot of movies from the time, particularly that had anti-Soviet Union themes that in in many ways, I think were designed to whip up audiences and, and to develop a, a fervor in terms of what the storyline was going to take on. Uh, from the standpoint of movies that were produced in Hollywood during the 1980s that had Cold War themes to them, what do you guys feel were were the objectives of these movies? Was it to promote patriotism or was it to try and subtly get across another message? Wow, that's an interesting question. Yeah, uh, we we may be giving uh, Hollywood too much credit if we're uh, assigning you know too much thought to their their perspectives other than what's going to do well at the box office. And I, I mean, it, in a lot of cases, I think it just comes it boils down to we need a villain for this story. Hmm, let's look at the shelf of villains. Well, the Vietnamese, eh, not so much. Uh, Martians, eh, we did that last year. Russians, <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, we can use that. That's something that you know. That's a kind of a known pillar you can build around, build a story around. I mean, you've got, you know, when when you say Cold War movies, I think people go right to, uh, you know, Red Dawn and Rocky Four. But don't forget, there are comedies that are basically Cold War movies. Spies Like Us is a is a Cold War story. It's a stripes. incredibly stripes is incredibly a, is a Cold War movie. Cold yeah, it's a good point. Stripes is a Cold War movie too. Top uh, Secret that was a Cold War movie as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 So I mean, it's just a. I, I don't. I, I don't want to be too glib there, but I think it's just a, a, a easy tool for them to grab out of the story box. Yeah, in a lot of cases. I have to say, I think back, one of my favorite Cold War films was the 1983 classic War Games. And 
there was very much forgetting the computer graphics, which at the time I think we can all agree were phenomenal. And you know, I still get chills when I watch the movie at home. And and they walk into that big NORAD command center, and you think to yourself, like back when I was eleven years old or twelve years old, this was just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I want to get into IT. I want to work with computers. But the whole movie was based around the concept of there is no winner nobody's going to get out of this thing alive and i remember the very final scene was the object of the game was not to play the whole tic-tac-toe thing at the end and it 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 was one of those things i think when you go back and you think about how that movie played out and the message it tried to get across to people of all ages there was an element of profoundness to it but i think that that was probably more the exception as opposed to the rule yeah i would agree i would say that if you if you look at even red dawn there's a scene at the end where they're trying to they're, – they're limping away. They're shot. They're probably going to die somewhere within the next mile. And instead of gunning them down, the, the Cuban commander just basically says, you know, go. You know, he, yeah. he softens and goes. At the end of Rocky IV, he turns the crowd around. So I, I think that it's there. I mean, those, there, are, there are – the messages are there that they're just not – it's not what we remember so much. What do you remember about Red Dawn? You remember him standing on a mountaintop yelling, Wolverines! I mean, you don't remember the very end where they slink away yeah. in the snow. Right, right. Or, yeah, all that all that hate's going to burn you up, keeps right. me warm. Yeah. In, in, in Rocky IV, what do you remember? You, you remember that Ivan Drago kills Apollo Creed. I mean, yeah. you, you sort of remember the end where they come around, but even then you don't really believe it. So, you know, the, the message is, in 1983, War Games is a great example and, and kudos to you, Peter, for, for remembering that. Cause I, you know, I, in, in my mental Rolodex, that one doesn't pop up as much as it should. Um, but there are other movies from the eighties that, that uh, I'm probably going to answer your next question here that were great cold war movies and nobody name checks them today. Like uh, the Falcon and the snowman. Oh yeah. Brilliant film. Uh, White Knights is, is mm-hmm. another one where I mean, I th- is it more of a dance movie? Is the Cold War movie? Do you have to make up your mind? Does everything have to be one genre? Um, you you could argue about Firefox. You could say Top Gun. In a way, uh, No Way Out. <laughs> no yeah. way I mean, out. No Way Out ends up being a Cold War movie in the, yeah. in the end. Sorry, spoilers, guys. <laughs> Did, did you guys ever – there's a couple I was going to ask you both if you've seen uh, Judgment in Berlin with Martin Sheen. I don't I have think been, so. I have not seen that. Okay, that's a really good one, and I think it's on Prime right now, but the premise is that I, uh, I think it was a Polish person had hijacked a flight going from East Berlin to Poland and forced them to land in West Berlin, and in the ensuing – excitement uh an east german person got shot and there had to be a trial and it pretty interesting film and it apparently was based on uh somewhat of a true story but there was another one um have you seen the experts oh yeah yeah i yeah. love that movie that that, that i i think it, it might rank for a razzie but it's still very watchable um it's <laughs> i i i will I, I i confess this with no shame whatsoever i own that on dvd really so yeah, yeah. Well done. Um, I think I'm the only one probably <laughs> – Brad, you haven't seen The Experts, have you? I have not. The, the whole idea is that the Soviet Union, in, a, in an effort to better train their spies, they basically create a, an, a, an American town in the middle of the Soviet Union where 
everyone it's just but it's based on like 1950s america it's not based on okay current it's america like based on reading people magazine they built right. a, yeah and so they bring over these two they bring over uh Ari Gross and John Travolta are these two failed uh club owners in the US and they bring them over basically to test the 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 citizens slash spies of this town to see how well they could pass as Americans. And it's actually a movie where John Travolta meets Kelly Preston, his his future wife. And and it also features one of my friends, uh, Deborah Foreman. Oh, of course. Yeah. So it's, but that's, that's a, that's a great example, Peter. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. uh, It's, it's an eminently watchable film, Brad. I I wouldn't say it's the most profound about the, the period, but it's, it's pretty funny. And, just the, I, I think Steve, you'll agree, the mullets in the show are absolutely classic. Yeah, it's it's a fun, it's a fun watch. It, it, you're not going to see it show up on cable anytime soon. You're going to have to, you're going to have to really look for it if you want. Have to, to seek it. that one out. I'll, I'll go. I'll stop by sometime, Steve, and we'll watch the DVD. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so, guys, I, you know, I would say that probably during the 1980s, when it came to a communications medium, television really was the king. You know, it was pretty well omnipresent in everybody's lives. And TV really had a life of its own during the 1980s. I was curious from the standpoint uh, of what you would remember and reflecting back on the period, what would you say were probably the, the key elements of television that were most important about conveying what was going on with the Cold War? Was it was it fictional TV? Was it documentary? Was it the current events programs? I mean, when you when you say TV and Cold War, I feel like you know my mind goes right to um, the day after and things like that, uh, you know, which were kind of event television. And again, that runs a little counter to what we were talking about in movies, where it was this convenient villain that we would use as kind of a cutout to stand up our our plot. Um, you know, that was a, a more of a in your face, like, look, <laughs> this this is going to get ugly fast. Uh, you know, how, what do you think about that? Uh, but it's interesting, Brad, because you've just sort of preempted my, my next question, and it was directly related to the day after. I'm delighted that we're thinking on the same page. I can recall when that movie came out, and I was in elementary school, and it scared the living you-know-what out of me. I remember the following morning before class, it's all anybody was talking about. And it clearly didn't have just that impact on me. It it, it impacted a lot of people who were uh, across the United States and Canada. And if I remember rightly, the ABC actually had to have counselors on the telephone for people to phone into because of how traumatic watching it might have been for them. And when you take this into account as two individuals who were – you know, in their youth in the United States at the time, what was the feeling like stateside when this movie came out and in the ensuing aftermath? I I can tell you how it affected me. Um, I remember it well. It's embar- It's an embarrassing story. But see, 1983, I would have been just old enough where we didn't. I didn't need to have a babysitter anymore. I had I had a younger sister, but by 83, I would have been old enough to to stay home alone. And I, and I remember that was a, a night when my parents went out to dinner. And so I'm home and I turn on the television set and it's not at the beginning of the movie. It's somewhere in one of the scenes where it's a, a news scene and they're broadcasting news. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was real. 
I, I didn't think it was a movie oh. at all. And oh. I, mean, I, I lost my mind. I mean, I'm like, holy crap. My pa- Like the first or second time I'm left home alone to watch my, my kid sister. And now we're going to war. <laughs> yeah, we go full, full, full worst case scenario here. So, I mean, I, I just I called everybody I knew who I had a phone number for. Just like, you know, are we going to be OK? You know, it's like, where are mom and dad? I need to talk to him now. And uh, I mean, I. I that I can still feel the panic today that I that was just racing through my body at the time. I I, I don't think I could go back and watch it again. I, I think that would be way too traumatic for me. I'm I'm really glad you have a good story about that, Steve, because you're not going to believe this. I never saw it. I mean, really? I know it was. It, I must have been doing something else that night. I don't know. Uh, but the the conversation at school the next day, as you say, it was all about that. And I remember having a fairly detailed conversation at lunch the next day with my, with my friends. Uh, I lived in a small town about an hour West of Oklahoma city. And we were discussing the fact that Tinker air force base was probably a primary target because that's where the AWACS airports or airplanes were based. And, you know, basically discussing the merits of, well, if this starts, do you drive into Oklahoma city so that you just evaporate and you don't have to deal with it? Or do you stay here? and have to try and pick up the pieces like which is worse God. like that's a pleasant conversation to have over your horrible cafeteria food yeah and, and i'll tell you uh brad for for the sake of you knowing that you can still watch it it's, the entire thing is on youtube um oh, great. If, if you want to watch it steve oh, uh, I know you you're not going to be watching it but uh, now i know what clips to send steve <laughs> Um, but I was going to say it was interesting because I read, I, I don't remember where I read it. It might've been in Reagan's diaries, but apparently it bothered him so much. He actually phoned the, the individual that, that directed it and said to him that it had quite a profound effect in terms of the direction he wanted to go. And it was at that point where he decided that he wanted to reach out to the Soviet leadership to see what could be done. So it, it was amazing because it was a movie that impacted people all the way from school in Oklahoma, Florida, Canada, through to the White House. And uh, I think that really resonates in terms of the impact that a piece of visual art had during the Cold War. I'm curious from your guys' opinion, what is it about the 80s that's generating such interest in terms of the production of television nowadays? And and you'll see where this is going to go from a Cold War standpoint in a second. But but what is it about the 80s that, that... makes producers now want to bring that whole era back into contemporary you know years ago there was a movie called hot tub time machine and i had a chance to interview the director of that Mm -hmm. and i asked him a similar question like why do you think the 80s have become such a fertile ground in in hollywood again and his answer which i had never considered before uh was pretty telling and he said Everyone who's a decision maker now in Hollywood is someone from the 80s generation. Like we're at that. Hollywood is basically being run by people our age right now. And they're going back to the decade that they love, that they remember so well. And they're honoring it in TV and in movies. That makes a lot of sense. It was almost like what we saw in the 1980s where there seemed to be a resurgence of 1950s nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's like a 30-year gap. So I guess using that logic in the 2020s, we'll be looking at a lot of 1990s nostalgia. <laughs> uh, not on our I, podcast, Peter. You, you know, it's, it's funny because 
I wouldn't have thought that the <sighs> 80s nostalgia movement would have lasted this long. And that, that's one of the surprises. Mm-hmm. The, probably the biggest surprise to me as we sit here with, with 15 years of stuck in the 80s is that I just didn't think there'd be interest 15 years from the moment we started. Like these nostalgia moments don't generally last this long. So, yeah, I mean, I think the internet has kind of helped fragment that stuff out and you can find your people. But uh, yeah, to your point, Steve, it's, it's strange that the, that the broader pop culture is still and, in this. And 80s I know for moment, a fact, I mean, because there were, there were some attempts in the last few years to start like these nineties nostalgia tours and they didn't get very far. There wasn't, there wasn't the same level of interest. So, so I don't know that we'll see any sort of, 90s resurgence anytime soon nobody nobody really cares to see the spin doctors again <laughs> um but you know when we're thinking about the the 1980s and some of the shows or movies that have attempted to try and recreate that 1980s cold war feel there's been a lot of really good attempts you know films such as the lives of others that came out of germany was i think superb in that regard you've got tv programs like deutschland 83 deutschland 86 or from our side of the pond the americans how would you both feel that these attempts have succeeded in terms of being able to recreate not just the, the look and feel, but even the atmosphere of the period as, as you watch some of these uh, television programs or films? Well, of the ones you've mentioned, I've seen the Americans and I, I think they did a very good job you, of, of capturing not just the, the look and feel and the, you know, the, the wardrobe and the hair, but just the, the attitudes and the, the, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for here. The um, the tension there, I think is I think they did a really good job yeah, of capturing that. I think that's a great series. Uh, I haven't made it all the way through yet. I was kind of savoring it. I had this weird thing about TV series where I I don't like to finish them because then they're over. So hence I'm like stuck still on season one of Stranger Things, and uh, hence I'll probably never make my way completely through The Americans or uh, Halt and Catch Fire. But um, and and just last night I started watching Chernobyl on HBO, and I'm about 30 minutes into that one, so I can't can't comment too much about it. But it's it's HBO. I mean they they could they could uh, they could make a miniseries about a vasectomy look pretty entertaining. So <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Brad, have you seen Chernobyl yet? I have not seen all of it. I've seen I've seen some of it. Um, like Steve, it's not. I'm not. I'm not averse to finishing things. I just don't watch a lot of TV. I don't know. And and that's one that that's one that the missus is not particularly interested in. So I have to find a time to watch it when she's not around. So. Well, I, I want to circle back to the Americans because, in, in my opinion, it might be one of the best programs that's been produced over the course of the past 10, 15 years. And I, to my mind, they did everything right. And I, I don't know if I heard it on the Stuck in the 80s podcast or another one, but somebody was mentioning that there was such attention to detail that if the family, the the, uh, the the KGB family, the Jennings were watching a particular show on a particular night that the producers would actually go back and find out on ABC what would be running on a Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for the sake of argument and make sure that that was running on the TV with the kids watching it. I, I, that, that really, I think, 
pinpoints the level of accuracy that they were looking to try and recreate. And I think that speaks to the fact that, you know, we all are very much in agreement that that was a good testimony to the, to the look, feel, and the atmosphere of the times. When, when we're thinking a little bit about though Chernobyl, and I realize you guys are both uh, just just getting into it and so forth, I, I'd be curious to, to get a sense from you both because of the fact that it was obviously one of the most uh, cataclysmic events, not just of the 1980s, but really of the 20th century. Uh, HBO certainly, we know, does a great job on series and makes things look very, very interesting and, and very watchable. But considering the, the subject matter and considering the fact that there's still impacts being felt to this day from Chernobyl. What's what, what's almost pricked up the level of interest in your opinions for this topic and for this program? Well, I think people are really curious about what happened. I, you know, you remember that it happened. Absolutely. I mean, you say Chernobyl and people, you know, they, they know what you're yeah. talking about. But I think that people are just hungry for a take on, like, how did that go down? You know, and and I think that at least what I've seen so far, it you know, it's hard to know how much of it is dramatization and how much of it is actually accurate to what happened. But I I think it's it's shown in a compelling way, which is the other piece of it. It's good storytelling. But I, I think people are just like they're just curious. I, I remember when like, I was like anything, the first episode, I had my phone with me and I was I had a couple of Chernobyl history pages up, and I was just kind of. They would say something, and then I would scroll through it and be like, yep, that's pretty much exactly what that happened, and yep, that's pretty much right on point. I, I'm really impressed by that. The, I think some of the more interesting things that I, – I think this was another HBO production. There was a movie called Citizen X that came out – oh, I bet it's been – it could be as many as 20 years ago now – about a serial killer in the Soviet Union – and how they were trying to track him down, but how difficult it was considering the the incredible levels of bureaucracy that, you know, were squeezing the Soviet Union and making certain things so hard to do. And I think I remember watching that and just being really captivated by it. And in terms of a Cold War angle, there wasn't really one except for the fact that the FBI knew everything about the serial killer, but they couldn't. They wanted to help the Russians, but the Russians needed to ask. Well, it, 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 they finally did. Like things changed. The end of the the, the you know the end of um, the eighties happened, and and the doors opened, and they were able to get the information to solve the case. Um, so we we learned about a chapter of history we didn't know existed. Now we all know Chernobyl existed, but like Brad said, that's the extent of what we knew. Yeah, there wasn't any Twitter. There weren't people, you know, taking pictures and sending, you know, the, the internet wasn't a thing. Yeah. You didn't have any way for that information to get out. Exactly. You didn't even know what questions to ask. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, guys, summing things up, how do you feel the Cold War impacted people of the 1980s generation that grew up with it in terms of their development at the time? But even more so, how they see the world today in 2020? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, my first reaction would be uh, a lot of times I talk about the 80s this way. I, I like to say that in the 80s, we believed we could still change the world. And I like to say that today, we don't even think we can save it. Um. 
so what did, did the Cold War have an impact on that or not? I, I think it gave us a thick skin, but it also gave us um, a sense of skepticism. Um, but I'd like to think that there's still like this this streak of courage that it gave us. If we can if we can stare over that abyss and step back from it, then you well know, maybe there is hope. Okay, well, we've had some profound discussion now. I I want to throw out a, a few fun questions, what we call the rapid fire on Cold War conversations, and I'll throw out two or three queries to you guys. I'd love to get your your personal feedback on them. You know, kicking off, I'd love to know, maybe starting with you, Brad, what is your favorite Cold War themed song? Oh, what uh, do you like the best? It's it's Russians by Sting. I just I, I we talked a little bit about it earlier, but the the lyrics are just far it's farcical. It, it, like I hope the you hear that you know say that I I hope the Russians love their children too. Of course they do, but it was such a great you know like it's a slap across the face, but it's a it's a beautiful song. The Prokofiev chunk that's in it, I really like that song. It's um, cool. what about you, Steve? It's, it's going to be Two Tribes by Frankie Goes to Hollywood, but. I will stipulate that it has to be the 12-inch version of the song that uh, begins with the British uh, announcement with the air raid sirens going off and saying, you know, when people in your family die, please set them outside. For, but remember to tag them first for identification purposes. I mean, it's just dark. <laughs> but but you can dance to it. <laughs> that's well, no, that's so 80s like, cold war pop culture all wrapped up into one sentence it's dark but you can dance to it okay what about your favorite cold war theme you know the one Steve? i quote the most is either spies like us or firefox with uh clint eastwood i don't know if anyone remembers that one mm-hmm. yeah i i like to you, know, you must film. think in russian <laughs> so I, I can quote that movie all day long, but uh, if you Google Firefox, all you do is you get the the website for the browser. <laughs> what about you, Brad? Um, I, I really like War Games. I hadn't really considered the angle you put on at the end that the you know at the ending is probably one of the most uplifting Cold War movie endings uh, or optimistic. Uh, but like Steve, I think the one I quote the most is Spies Like Us. Interesting. I will begin the incision here. <laughs> So, uh, question for both of you guys: Did either of you see the film Gorky Park? I saw part of it. I think I don't believe that I have. Okay, it's kind of a. I think Steve, you'll agree. uh, If you just saw part of it, you'll agree it's a slow film. It's it's very deliberate. But uh, you you might remember there was a scene uh, in uh, Mortuary where. Kurt was trying to discuss with the mortician about how somebody would have been murdered in Gorky Park. And just fast fact, the mortician was a professor at my university in Saskatchewan, Henry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. Classically trained actor. And he was also part of the Time Warp crew in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Damn. Never buy, (laughs) never pay for a drink in that town ever again. Exactly. I mean, the the only other thing, the last one that comes to mind when I think of kind of favorite Cold War movies is what I call the last great Cold War movie, and that's The Hunt for Red October. Uh, yes. I, yeah. I, I, I'm so ready to grandfather that in so we can do a show on it and stuck in the 80s because that's a 1990 movie. I know. Oh, just, I just, I love that movie so much. I mean, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous how much I love that movie. So, guys, last question on the rapid fire. If you could produce your own movie about the Cold War, what would it be about and who would star in it? Uh, Brad, do you want to start? Oh, gosh. No. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of need to give me a second. 
Okay, Steve, we'll give Brad a second. You uh, you pick this one up. You, it's like I said earlier. I I would want to pick. I want to I want to do a, a movie about an actual historic event from that era that people forgotten mm-hmm. about. So I would need to do some research to, to just know what that is. But I really would want to tell a story that people were like, that really happened? That this, – this is true? And, and maybe it's set in Berlin. So that, and maybe you have a story on each side of East Berlin and West Berlin uh, ending with the wall coming down and a tearful ending. But then you have to kind of figure out, is this a happy or sad tear, tearful ending? So Interesting. Very cool. Oh, my God. I can't follow that. <laughs> I, w- I want to go first. Can I go first? Uh, no. Okay. Here's here's my answer. Uh, you know, I'm as you might have noticed, I'm the one who's always joking around. So I'm gonna make. I want a comedy. Um, so I think my Cold War movie would be. Um, wasn't there a there was a summit in Iceland? Yeah. Am I am I misremembering that? Uh, there was. Uh, yeah. So but during the summit in Iceland, there are going to be American attaches and Russian attaches, and and some there's going to be some hijink shenanigans. You know between the attaches kind of at a lower level that's happening kind of underneath this very serious conversation you know, about missiles and whether we're going to blow each other up and I, I have no idea how it ends up but you know one of them maybe defects i don't know but maybe it turns out they actually have an american grandfather and so they can you know they're eligible for citizenship i don't know i, th- I think brad's going for the hard r-rated movie here that has some uh, scenes that we can't watch with the children around they're there might be there might be a little gratuitous nudity. If it's an '80s kind of movie, then yeah, there's going to be some gratuitous nudity. Yeah, I'm, I'll, next time I'm at Warner Brothers, I'll, I'll pitch it. There's further information such as photos and videos in our episode notes, which will show as a link in your podcast app. Now, this show wouldn't exist without our generous patrons, so I want to thank one and all of them for their support you can very easily become a patreon by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate and you can also join our facebook group where listeners just like you continue the cold war conversation thanks very much for listening it is really appreciated goodbye not enjoying the ads well you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate by becoming a monthly or annual supporter you'll enjoy ad-free listening become a part of our community receive the sought after cold war conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve cold war history just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information